So today is Easter Sunday. And as we kind of think about the significance of this day, it's, it's a huge day. You know, when you think about uh, in 30 AD, when Jesus began his public ministry, he had 12 followers, 12 followers in 30 AD when he started his ministry. And then as, after ministering to thousands of people all over Israel in a public ministry that spanned three years, on the day that Jesus was crucified, he, he, he probably had about 120 followers on that day. And then that number started declining very sharply. Today, in 2019, there are 2.4 billion followers of Jesus today. And my question is this, what in the world happened? Like something big happened, right? I mean, to go from 12 to 120 and 120 to 2.4 billion today, do you know how large that number is? 2.4 billion, that's more people in the nation of China. That's more people than the continent of Europe and the nation of China combined. That's a lot of people. That's more people than the population of the United States, the population of Europe, and the population of China combined. That, that means that one out of every three people on the planet believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died and he rose and he's coming back again. 2.4 billion people. What in the world happened? And I think what's amazing about that more than anything else is, when you, is just the fact when you consider that Jesus never wrote anything down. Like he never wrote a book. He never wrote a letter. And yet more books have been written about Jesus than any other person in the history of the world. Jesus never drew a picture. He never painted a painting. He never, he never crafted a sculpture. And yet more artwork has been dedicated to the glory of Jesus than any other person in the history of the world. You think about, you know, you think about the fact that Jesus never built any buildings. And as we reflect on the tragic loss of the, the Notre Dame Cathedral uh, this week, you, you think about the fact that more architecture, more buildings have been built for the glory of Jesus Christ than any other person in the history of the world. Jesus never wrote a poem. He, he, never, wrote, he never wrote music. And, and yet there's more music dedicated to the glory of Jesus today than any other person in the history of the world. Added to that, is the fact that he never traveled more than 150, 200 miles from his hometown, and yet he has followers in every nook and cranny of this planet. That's simply amazing. What in the world happened? What in the world happened? We're one out of every three people living today proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, I'll tell you what happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. And it is the most important event in world history. I don't know, if I, if I gave you a survey, I don't know what you would say, you know, what, you would, what your opinion would be on the most important event in, in world history. I mean, you might say something like uh, it was probably D-Day or, um, you know, 9-11 or when, you know, the United States became a nation and declared our independence from Great Britain. I, I, maybe when the Colts won the Super Bowl. I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know uh, what you would say, but, but church, none of that not all of that pales in comparison to the resurrection of Jesus. It is a game changer. It changed everything. And what it does is it not only changes everything globally or cosmically, it changes everything for you and for me personally. Because what the resurrection does is it redeems our past and it redefines our future. 
And that's what I want us to talk about today, just in the few minutes that we have today. I want to talk about the, how the resurrection impacts your future and mine. One of my favorite hymns is a hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And in that hymn, there is a line that goes like this, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I love that line. That's what the resurrection does, is it gives us power for today and it gives us bright hope for tomorrow. That's what the resurrection does. And yet what we see in our society today is a lot of people have little or no hope for tomorrow. Do you know that, do you know that sociologists and people that study culture, they've noticed a real shift in the United States just over the last 10 or 12 years. And maybe you've picked up on it. But there's a, there's, a, there's a level of pessimism and cynicism about the future in the United States at levels that we've never seen before. That, that a lot of people have this general sense that things are not getting better, they're getting worse. And what they say is, according to their research, that people, parents in particular, believe that the future that they're handing off to their kids and grandkids is going to be worse and more difficult for them than it was for the parents. For the first time in American history, there's just cynicism about the future. There's pessimism about the future. And I don't know if it has something to do with the national debt. I don't know if it's just the breakup of the family that we're seeing, you know, as the family goes, so goes the nation. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's the drug addiction crisis that is, that is, that is just killing our country from within. I don't know what it is. You know, there's a movie with Jack Nicholson and there's a scene in this movie where there are all these, this group of people in this psychiatrist's office. They're waiting to get in to see the counselor. And Jack Nicholson just opens the door and pops his cynical look on his face. And he says to everybody sitting in there, he says, you know, have, have y'all considered that perhaps this is as good as it gets? Is that really true? Is that really true? Is this is as good as it gets? You know, the resurrection begs to differ. The resurrection says something else. The resurrection points us to strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. In fact, the scripture paints it like this, that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and the minds have not conceived the future that God has for them that love him. That's what the scripture says. That we can't even imagine it. It's so wonderful. It's so beautiful. It's so glorious. The scripture uses all of these metaphors to help us kind of grasp what's going on in what God is doing in the world today. And one of those metaphors is the scripture uses this word first fruits to describe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know what first fruits are? First fruits are the very first and the best of a harvest. And you just pick a few of them. They're the very best. But they, there's a message in the very best. And that message is what's coming next is great and glorious. And that is a harvest. And that's what I want us to talk about today. What is coming, what is coming next. I want us to talk about the strength that we have for today and the bright hope for tomorrow. And what I want us to do is I want to read a passage to you from Revelation chapter 21. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there, you can, you can do that. Um, 
It's okay if you, if you don't because we have the scripture on the screens. But uh, that's what John, the apostle, is describing in Revelation 21. It is the definitive statement on the future that the resurrection secures for you and for me. It is that strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, Revelation 21. Now, let me just give you a little bit of context so you kind of understand what's going on here. John has had the privilege of seeing a revelation of the future from God. And he's writing down as quickly as he can, and he's seeing things he doesn't even understand. That's part of why revelation is such a challenge to interpret and understand. But boy, what we do understand comes through loud and clear. And John is writing this revelation to a group of Christians who, uh, who need some encouragement. Because, you know, they're getting, they're getting kicked in the teeth by the Roman Empire. And what we're seeing is, in what, what he was seeing in that day is, is Christian persecution at an all-time high. They would, they would go in and, and just uh, take their home, the homes of Christians away. They would take their family members away. They would, they would sometimes burn Christians at the stake. They would, they would cover them in pitch and set them on fire. They would take Christians and throw them into the arena to be torn apart by wild animals as people cheered and ate their popcorn. And John knows this. And he knew he, they needed something. He knew they needed strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And so that's what we're going to read. I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, let's stand together as we read about John's picture of the new heaven and the new earth that resurrection secures for us. I'm going to read the first seven verses. John writes this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. What John does is he paints a picture of the future for us. And there are three parts or pieces of this picture that I want us to kind of lock in on this morning. Because I think that's what will, will really give us power for for today and, and hope for tomorrow. And I think the first part of the picture that God has for us is this, that, that, the, that what we see the future that God has for us is the home that we long for. That's the first piece of this that we see. This is the home that we long for. Look at verses one and two just briefly with me. Notice what he says. He says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, what I want you to notice there 
It's a couple of things. He's, he says he sees a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth ha- had passed away. It, 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 it had disappeared. And he looks up and he sees heaven coming down on this new earth. And so there is a combining. There is, there is this, this new heaven, this, this city, this new Jerusalem. And that's the place where Jesus reigns. And it's coming down to a restored, renovated, and renewed earth. And so what that tells us, church, is that heaven is not in a galaxy far, far away. Heaven is right here on a renewed, restored, renovated, refurbished earth. That's where heaven is. That's where, as believers, you and I are going to spend eternity. Not not in a mystical place out there, but right here. Right where we are. That's what he's saying. And he records Jesus saying, and I heard a a, a voice from the the throne saying, I'm making all things new. That is the work of Jesus. He's going to make all things new. Now, that's what resurrection is. Resurrection is not, you know, chocolate Cadbury eggs. It's not marshmallow peeps, whatever those things are. Um, It's not you know, the Easter bunny and egg hunt. The resurrection is new heaven and new earth. That's what it is. And we get so consumed with the, just the cultural celebration of the holiday that we're not even considering what resurrection really is. It's new heaven and new earth. And practically what that means is that the gospel, very simply, is not God saving us and whisking us away to a mystical place somewhere. But the gospel is this, that God loves the rocks and the trees and the mountains and the stars. And he loves elephants and earthworms and he loves dogs and he tolerates cats. But, you know, he loves, you know, he loves, I mean, he loves all of that. He really does. He loves everything that he has created. And what he's going to do is he's going to remake it one day. He's going to renew it. He's going to refurbish it. And John records him saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You know, the Alpha and the Omega is the first and the last uh, letters of the the Greek alphabet. And, uh, you know, as you think about you want to win a baseball game, what do you do? Well, you got to have you got to have really good pitching, right? So you're up by one run. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. They have the bases loaded. There are no outs. And batters four, five, and six are coming up. They're warming up right now. And if you're going to win that game, you got to have an ace closer, don't you? You got to have a finisher. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He is the finisher. He is the closer. Now, he just happens to be the starter as well, all right? But he is really good at finishing the deal. And what he starts, he's going to finish. And he is going to finish it beautifully. And that's what John is recording right here. He says, I am making all things new. Can you just imagine just for a moment a world that has been made new? Imagine a world that you're living in. That's been reborn and reshaped and refurbished and completely restored. Can you imagine a world where there's no longer any more poverty, any more hunger, and any more homelessness? It's done. Can you imagine a world where there's no, there's no more pain of divorce? Can you imagine a world where the government actually works, church? Can you imagine that? 
man, you're going to like the government and the new heaven and new earth because the leader is really, really good. And he's going to rule in righteousness, justice, and love. King Jesus will. Can you imagine a world where there is uh, no more bullying? Where every child is seen as being an image bearer of God and love for that reason? Can you imagine a world where there's no more domestic abuse, there's no more rape, there's no more abortion? Can you you imagine a world where people are no longer going to pay $500,000 to get their kids in a in a in a college of their choice by bribing someone, displacing all the students that worked really hard to get in the right way. We're not going to do that anymore. Praise be to God for that. Isn't that the world you long for? Isn't that part of the deepest desire of your heart? Don't you long for that? Don't you long for justice? And you know, so many times in the American justice system, justice is the last thing you get. Don't we long for our political leaders to to put the people, to put what's best for the nation in front of, you know, in front of their own power and maintaining their own power and in front of their own popularity? Don't you long for that? Don't you long for the day where you don't have to see your family members battle disease? You know, I think about second grader Mason Garvey in our church. He's been battling cancer over the last nine months. He's so courageous. Their family longs for the day. And he, he is cured and he didn't have to go to radiation and chemo. They long for that day. Or I think about Alana Miller who received a kidney transplant just, just a few weeks ago. You know, their family longs for the day that she doesn't have to go back to see the kidney doctor. I, I, think, of, I think of Andrew Reif in our church. You know, their family longs for the day that, that uh, little Andrew doesn't have to go see a doctor just to help him breathe. They long for that day. And those kids are doing great, by the way. You just keep praying for them, that God would heal them. They long for that day. Church, where do these longings come from? Have you noticed them? Have we gotten off our phone for just five minutes just to reflect on the longings that we have? And where do these longings come from? We have these desires within us that just seem frustrated, you know, minute, you know, minute in and minute out, day after day. We, we see it. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. And he says this, creatures are not born with, with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and suggest the real thing. You know what he's saying? The new heaven and new earth is what we long for. And that is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ secured for us. You know, this week I watched The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, Mel Gibson's depiction of of Jesus' crucifixion and and, uh, his resurrection. It's a great movie. It's very uh, historically in line with what actually happened. And there's a lot of good theology in it. 
And he just, Mel Gibson, for whatever you want to say about Mel Gibson, man, he, he knows good theology and he just puts it in at different places. And uh, there's a particular scene, one, my favorite scene in the entire movie, Jesus has been, you know, uh, he's been flogged, he's been beaten, he's been um, just bruised up and he's carrying this Roman cross down the Via Dolorosa and he's carrying it up to the place where they're going to crucify him. And he's had a lot of blood loss. He's, you know, just teetering on the you know, verge of shock or dehydration or whatever. And he can't carry this cross. And he, and he falls down and the cross lands on him. And Mary's, his mother's just tracking with him. And she just kind of kneels down. And, and, you know, we don't know if this actually happened, right? But we could pretty good bet a mother's going to be following her son. And, um, and, and so she kneels down with him and they make eye contact. And Mel Gibson takes Revelation 21, verse 5, and puts it right in there. And, and this smile comes over Jesus' bruised and swollen and bloody face. He cracks a smile and he says, Mother, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. I love that. Because that is new heaven and new earth. It was costly to secure it. But our Lord and Savior did it. He got it in the end zone and he finished it. And um, that's reason to celebrate on Easter Sunday. One of my favorite shows, I probably watch it too much, and is Fixer Upper on HDTV. Uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they've, they've moved on to other things, so now we just get to see reruns of it. But uh, it's a really good show. If you, if you haven't, if you're the only person in the world that hasn't seen it, let me just tell you, uh, the, 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 there's, a, there's a couple looking for a new home. And uh, this is, these are first world problems, by the way. So, uh, uh, but they're looking for a new home. And so they go to Chip and Joanna Gaines to find them three homes that would be suitable for them. But the homes need to be renovated. They need to be restored. So they find them three homes and then they pick one of the three that they want. And so what Chip and Joanna do is they go in, Joanna designs everything and uh, just gets a plan for how it's going to be renovated and restored. And then, and then Chip, he's kind of funny. You know, he goes in and he just does it. He makes it happen. And, uh, and then they... They do the reveal, you know, about eight weeks, takes them to do this. And, and they do this huge picture in front of the house to keep the, the family from seeing it. And it's a picture of what it, the house looked like before it was renovated. And then they, they roll it back. And then they see the new creation. And what do they say? What do they usually say? They, they start crying. They start weeping. Oh, this is, this is the home we've always longed for. This is what we've always wanted. And they say that over and over again as they take them through the house. It's pretty cool. And I'm just wondering, how can I get Chip and Joanna James to come to Greenwood? That's what I want to, you know, know, do my house for me. But, uh, but, you know, we have an ultimate fixer-upper. You know what his name is? Jesus Christ. And he's going to create the home that we long for. He really is. He really is. He's the ultimate uh, you know, I teach this. I love this theme of new heaven and new earth. I, I preach it and teach it in funerals and try to sprinkle it in throughout the year because, because I really do think as, as people, we, as Easter people, as resurrection people, we need to be reminded of strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And it, it, invariably what happens when I'm preaching this message, you know, people will come up to me as I'm, as I'm talking about new heaven and new earth, as I'm just trying to describe and trying to help people really get their mind around this, I, I, uh, 
people just come up to me and they're just kind of blown away. You know, they just say, I just never thought about heaven that way. I, I never thought about it that, like that before. And, you know, where my mind goes is the fact that Hollywood has done such a good job of creating the image of heaven in our minds that we think what heaven is going to be like. And our picture of heaven is these little baby cherubs with wings and they're laying down on clouds and they're playing awful harp music. That's our, that's, that's, and and we just allow Hollywood to implant that picture of heaven. And, and, and they also kind of characterize uh, uh, Peter at this huge lectern in heaven. You know, he's, he's standing in front of this and he's got these huge books and there's these big gates and he's just checking names before he gets in. Now, church, can I just say something? If that's what heaven is like, I'd rather stay here. Thank you very much. I, I don't want to go there. And we don't realize how much the world just poisons our image of the beauty that God has in store for us. We don't even realize that. We don't even really take five minutes to consider what does the Bible actually say about new heaven and new earth? We don't even think about that. Friends, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be a place where we walk and run and hug and kiss. It's gonna be a place where we go to museums. It's gonna be a place where we go to concerts. You know, we're gonna to go to Colts games. It's gonna be, be a place where we, we dance and we're gonna eat garlic bread and cinnamon rolls and we're not gonna to have to count calories up there. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be absolutely beautiful. There's gonna be work. There's gonna be rest. There's gonna be play. There's gonna be competition. There's going to be, you know, March Madness in heaven. You know, there's going to be, the masters and have I'll get to play Augusta in the new heaven and new earth and hopefully I'll be a better golfer than I am now but people just don't understand it that that the new heaven and new earth is a real place it's here and this is where we're going to spend eternity and we're going to recognize each other and we're going to talk to each other and we're going to tell stories with one another and we're going to celebrate and worship God together and we're going to see him face to face that's what new heaven and new earth is and if you catch God's vision for new heaven and new earth, you can't stay the same. It changes you as you begin to contemplate the reality of, of Jesus' resurrection and the promise of your resurrection because you're in Jesus. You can't stay the same. And I think a lot of Christians today, what they want to do is go hide and bury themselves under their dirty laundry in the closet waiting for Jesus to come back. When our home now is kind of messed up, you know, if your yard is in a mess, what do you do? You get it cleaned up, right? If, if there's rotten food in your refrigerator, what do you do? You clean it out and you stock it with really good food. If there are bugs in your bed, what do you do? You get rid of those bugs and get rid of your bed and get a new one. Why? Because it's where you live. It is your home and your home matters and people matter. And as Christians, we can't just sit on our hands and, and just wait for Jesus to come back. As children and, and women are being trafficked all over the world for the evil intentions of men. We can't just sit back and say, well, I, man, too bad for them. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. No, we need to do something about it, right? We need to do something about it. Because, because what God has called us to do is to tell people about the coming new heaven and new earth. The coming kingdom of God. That we witness to it and we work for the realization of it here. That's what we're called to do. That God in his humility has invited us into the work of new heaven and new earth that he's doing. Won't you join us? That's what your purpose in life's all about. That's what I want to talk to men about over the next few weeks, by the way. 
that they do have a purpose and God made them for a specific role to play in their marriage, in their family, in their community, and where they work for the glory of God to bring new heaven and new earth. This, this train's going somewhere, and we want you to be a part of it. Let me just say this. Could it be you're, you're here today, and you're with family and friends, and you're not really a Christian, and you're just here because this is what the family does. Could it be that you've misunderstood it? Could it be, is there any chance you've just misread this and you're not seeing Jesus for who he really is? That maybe your, your theology is based on YouTube rather than God's word and you've misunderstood it and misread it. Friends, it's gonna be a glorious party. This is gonna be the home that we've always longed for and we, we want to be a part of it. But secondly, there's a second piece of this, and it's this, that the resurrection is this. The the future that God has for us is not only just the home that we long for, but it's the love that we thirst for. That's what the future is that God has for us. It's the love that we thirst for. I mean, what kind of home? I mean, it's great to have a home, but what if you don't have anybody to share it with? It's really not that fun, is it? And the Bible tells us That life is a love story. Scripture is really a love story of God pursuing his prodigal people. And there's something within us that resists his love. We're just kind of stubborn with his love. We just, we think that we don't need his love. And that's what Adam and Eve thought. In this love story, God created a perfect place. He created Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, but they were deceived. They broke his one command, and in the breaking of that command, they rejected the love of God. They rejected a relationship with God, and it brought catastrophic consequences for planet Earth and for you and me. And part of those consequences is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there's disease and death and destruction. That's catastrophic. But not only that, but they passed on to us the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, and the inclination to sin that we all have and have to battle every day. They passed that on to us. And the result of that is this. And you've heard it said before that with inside of our hearts, there's a God-shaped vacuum. And the only thing that can fill it is the love of God and walking in relationship with the love of God. The only thing that can fill it. See, what sin does is it makes us thirsty. It makes us really, really thirsty. As Americans, we live in the richest country in the history of the world. We really do. We have everything we need and most of what we want. And yet, at the same time, we take more antidepressants than any other nation in the world. Obviously, money and stuff doesn't satisfy because we got all that. We're thirsty. There's a movie called Young Adult. And the star of the movie is Charlize Theron. And at the beginning of the movie, she's, she's in bed with someone, a man that, she doesn't even love and hardly even knows. And then at the end of the movie, she's in bed with a man that she hardly knows and doesn't really even love. But, but in between, in between those, those two scenes, she's, she's trying to rekindle a high school romance. And the man is married and has a kid. He's happily married and has a kid. And she's, she's just making an idiot of herself, a fool of herself, and how desperate she is. 
And you just watch her character. You watch her character do this. And you just think in your mind, she just wants somebody to love her. She's just looking for love. She's looking for true love. That's what she's looking for. But she doesn't know where to find it. Jesus ran into a lady like that. In John chapter 4, he was at, at the well. And he ran into this lady who was gathering water there. And they get into a conversation. And Jesus says to her, you know, if you drink the water that I have, you'll never thirst again. You know what she's thinking to herself? She's thinking, that's the dumbest pickup line I have ever heard in my life. What a weirdo, man. The weirdos hang out at the well, I guess. And then you know what he does? He turns the tables on her. And he says to her, you know what? I know you're not married. You've been married five times. And then the guy you're with right now is not even your husband. And her life changed as she began to see her eyes were opened to the water that he was offering. She went back to the village. She told everybody in the village, come and meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. Come and meet him. He is love. He's safe. See, Jesus is not really talking about physical water. He's talking about something else. He's talking about the spring of the water of eternal life is what he's talking about. And that's what satisfies. You see, the thing about it is, is sin deceives us. What sin does, and the, the Bible says all of us have sinned. So we're all in the same boat. But the Bible also talks about sin not just being like certain bad actions that we do. But, but the Bible describes sin as a power that influences us. And what this power does is it deceives us into thinking we don't need the source of, of life. We can find it on ourselves, all by ourselves. It tricks us. And we think we can find it in a boyfriend or we think we can find it in a, in a promotion or we think we can find it in money or in cars. and how, we, we think we can find satisfaction. And we just never really realize that the more we have, the more we keep looking. And the more the more thirsty we really are. And I love what John records in verses 6 and 7 of 21. He, he records the words of Jesus. He says this, And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, notice this, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He's recognizing we're a thirsty people. And he says, If you'll just come to me and drink, oh man, you'll be filled up. That's what he's talking about. That's the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus took our place on the cross. We sinned. We fell short of the glory of God. And yet, and yet Jesus took our place so that we wouldn't have to be crucified. We wouldn't have to be punished for our sins. That's the gospel. And if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Man, is that good news or what? And we can know forgiveness, we can know freedom, we can know peace, we can know the satisfaction of walking with the very lover of our souls. That is the love that we thirst for. There's one more picture, and it's this. The life we were made for. What John is describing in Revelation 21 is the life that we were made for. We were made for life. And we long for life, don't we? We long for it. The truth is we're surrounded by death, aren't we? All around us is death. Turn on the news, death. Talk to a cousin, you know, death. Death's all around us. Death is wicked. Death is awful. Death is, is absolutely heinous. It really is. You know what death does is it separates us from our loved ones. That's what death does. You know, in 2010, my, uh, 
my dad was, my, my parents lived in South Alabama and we were up here in Indiana. And so I didn't, I didn't get to see them a lot over the last few years. And um, my dad was in his 70s and he was in really good health. And he fell and he broke his hip. And so my mom took him to the hospital and he was going to spend the night in the hospital just for observation. And so he, my dad told my mom, he said, honey, I just want you to, I want you to go home. I'm okay. Go home, get some rest and I'll see you in the morning. He died in the middle of the night in a hospital from a broken hip. And I remember getting the phone call at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I just remember as if it happened this morning, I remember it so distinctly and clearly. And I remember going, what? And my first thought was, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I never got that chance. Death is wicked. Because it separates us, doesn't it? And then just three weeks after my dad passed away, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. So she started the battle against cancer and, and uh, she was in her 70s as well. And, and she fought bravely and courageously and she really learned to trust God and God redeemed it. But a year later, almost to the day that my dad died, my mom passed away. And I've often asked the question, which one's better? You know, somebody that you love going quickly when you can't expect it or someone you love going slowly when you're slowly preparing for it. And the truth is they're both wicked. They're both bad. That's our greatest enemy. Death is. And we're all, we'll all have to face it. We all have to deal with it. We, we can't pretend. It, it'll, be, it'll be something we have to face. There's a Japanese poet by the name of Isa. And he was a haiku poet. He lived in the 18th century in Japan, and he had a really difficult life. His, his mother died when he was young. And then he, as he was in adulthood, he had children and uh, his, his daughter died. He had a, just a very difficult life and he battled grief. And he went to the Zen master, he was Buddhist. He went to the Zen master and he asked the Zen master, how do I deal with all of this grief in my life? What do I do with this? And the Zen master looked at him and said, why are you grieving? Life is not real. Life is an illusion. Now that is straight Buddhism right there. He just fed it straight down the line right there. He said, why do you grieve? Life is just an illusion. It's not even real. It's like, it's like the dew on the ground. As soon as the sun pops up, it's gone. Life's not even real. Why do you even grieve? And when you kind of think about it, you know, you think about the question that he's asking, what you see is a longing in his heart to, to, to understand what life is really all about because, because Esau knew, he knew that life is real and he longed for something beyond this life. That's, what, that's the question he's asking. And that's the question Buddhism couldn't touch. That's the question Buddhism can, could not answer. Well, you know what the good news of Jesus is? He answered it. Because in Revelation 1, Jesus says, I died and I'm alive and I hold the keys of eternal life. And you see it in Revelation 21 verse 4, the passage we read earlier. Notice verse 4, notice what he says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This church is what we long for right here. And that's the good news 
of the resurrection. No more cancer, no more seizures, no more terrorism, no more mass shootings, no more overdoses. For the former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, that gives you strength for today, doesn't it? Gives you purpose for today and bright hope for tomorrow. It'll change your life when you receive this message through the grace of God. Elie Weissel in World War II is a Jewish author. And he was in Auschwitz in the death camp in Germany. And uh, he, he basically said the thing that had the most profound impact in his life, the one thing that had the most profound impact in his life was being in that death camp and seeing groups of Christians marched to the gas chambers and as they marched to the gas chambers singing hymns for the glory of Jesus Christ. He said, that one thing changed my life. He basically said words to the effect, I saw in them that they had strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Do you have that? Because the good news of Easter is the invitation is for you to have it. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is open up your heart. What the Bible says, all you have to do is repent of your sins. You turn away from sin. Why would you live in sin anymore? It deceives us. It leaves us away from the source. So you repent and you believe the good news that Jesus took your place on the cross. It's just so simple. You repent and believe and you follow Jesus. And you will have the gift of eternal life, not by your works, not by your goodness, not by your effort, but by the works and the goodness and the effort of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is alive forevermore. Let's pray together. I want to give you an invitation today. You're not a Christian and you would like to be. You want strength for today and, and bright hope for tomorrow. You want to cross over from death to life. From pessimism to joy, from doubt to unbelief, you want to take that step. And I, want, I just want to invite you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about my prayer, but... I want to lead you into a prayer and I want you to just let this be your prayer that expresses the step that you want to take right into the family of God. So just pray this silently to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I need a Savior. My sin is great, but you as Savior are greater. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I repent from them and turn away from them through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I commit my life to following you as best as I know how. Give me strength for today and the hope of the new heaven and new earth. And so God, for every person who's made this, this prayer today, I ask, that you would show yourself mighty to save, that your presence would be here to seal the deal.
And so we thank you for the grace that you give to us. We thank you for grace that takes our place and brings us home. We give you praise and glory for the resurrection. Thank you for the purpose it provides for us. We, we renew ourselves today in that purpose. We, re, we recommit ourselves to you today, your sons and daughters. And we look forward to the day of your return. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.